I think that's part of the curiosity in the way that God has made us. Mm -hmm. But by and large, God gives Joseph just the very basics of what he needs to know to do the next thing. And that would go all the way back even to Isaiah, who 700 years earlier was writing, and the virgin will give birth. And Isaiah didn't probably have a clue what that meant, but God said to do it. So there's a sense in which we will always find what God reveals to us to be insufficient for what we would like to know in our curiosity, but it will always be sufficient for what we need to know yep. in order to live faithfully. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And at the time in which you'll be listening to this, I'll actually be down at the YWAM base in Kona, Hawaii, speaking um, to a group of students in their countercultural school of apologetics. And uh, did that last year as well. And then they, so they send me a little list of questions and say, hey, can you do a three-hour lecture on this topic? And one of the items that we'll be discussing this week is divine hiddenness, or the question maybe sometimes more frequently asked, why isn't God more obvious? And as I was kind of preparing some thoughts on that and kicking around some ideas, I got talking to Cameron, then he had some ideas to throw in there. And I said, hey, I don't think we've talked about this, or maybe Cameron mm -hmm. said that on the podcast. Let's throw that idea out there and talk about some of the presuppositions behind the questions, some of the things that can helpfully be said about it. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Cameron, on the concept of divine hiddenness or the lack of obviousness of obviousnessnessness mm -hmm. of God. So. Uh, when, when, when you run into that question or that concept, what's a starting point for you or what are some things that you keep in mind? I want to begin with the question, what would count as obvious for you? Yeah. Okay. So that's whoever's raising the question. Yep. So that's one of the things that I often have people when I'm addressing this is write down what counts for you as evidence. And, and the reason that this is really important, Cameron, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've run into this is somebody will say, well, what about this? And then you answer that and, and they'll be like, yeah, but what about this? And unless you can define in advance what counts as evidence, you're always going to be shooting at a moving, moving target. Because this is one of the questions right. that sometimes right. people ask not wanting there to be an answer to it. And so if you give an answer, mm -hmm. they'll just kind of subtly shift over to a different category. So starting with what counts as evidence is a... You don't have to ask that on this question. Everybody has to ask that on every question. I mean, life isn't livable unless you have a way that you answer that. So... Yeah, I'm with you on the question. And here's a little crash course on modern sensibilities. So we have, and I promise you this is going somewhere, because of all of our forms of surveillance, and this is a very Cameron thing to say, I would bring this up, but we have alleged footage of lots of paranormal phenomena. Lots of it. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of it is, you know, some of it's silly. Some of it's quite compelling. Well, and the and the vast majority Does of human eyewitness accounts would testify to this. So even if you're if you're holding a democratic right. vote on the paranormal, they would win in the yep. landslide. Globally, absolutely, it would. Does that constitute compelling, irrefutable evidence for people? No, no, because you will always find some way to poke a hole in it. You'll always find some way to say, well, this person was hallucinating. Or, of course, you know, if it's footage, this was a hoax. This is a really good hoax. This one was perpetrated. Well, you had a whole lot of people in agreement. You had eyewitnesses and all that. Yeah, but it can't. But eventually, you get more and more compelling pieces of evidence, and you keep pressing people, and eventually you might come to a, a juncture where the person says, yeah, but it just can't be true. We must mm -hmm. have a rational explanation. Well, and you can so say, so... No, I was just going to I mean, say before, on the, let, let me bring in yeah, one keep more. Going, keep going. 
just one more exhibit here. So let's say God writes your name in the sky and says, I am the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal savior, so-and-so, and maybe even throws in your social security number there, which compromises some <laughs> things for you, and you're a little annoyed about that. Would that be irrefutable evidence? You know, I think if we're honest, now obviously that's that's a very silly scenario, but something along those lines, if, if God, you know, spelled it out for me very, very clearly, you know, Lord Russell Moore, of course, he's probably the most famous modern atheist who, you know, when the question was put to him, what if you find yourself face to face with God? And he is, he's is there after now, after all, what would you say to him? Why didn't you make yourself more obvious? Well, so if he did some, pulled off some stunt like this, let's be honest, we would find a way to explain it away. We mm -hmm. always do. I mean, you will always have at your disposal, the resources to explain away. Look at the old Testament. When you have the Israelites, the Red Sea is parted for these people. And yet, when they're in the wilderness, now they don't they don't necessarily doubt God's existence, but they certainly doubt his provision. They certainly doubt that he's going to save them. He, they certainly doubt him as their deliverer. And you might think, are they insane? Are they lunatics? Did they not just see what he did? But then you don't, you're not, you're discounting the human heart and mm -hmm. our penchant for unbelief. So that's, that's, I think I've given us enough to, to work with there. But yeah, that's how I usually start. Yeah, it's seemingly one of the features of humanity that the increase in revelation does not necessarily correlate to an increase in belief. So the resurrected Christ, they worshiped him in some doubt. It's true. Yeah, I mean, there is, it's just all throughout, there's, it's, it's not really something we learn about God as much as something we learn about humans when we look at how the Bible deals with this question. But there's also a sense in which, I mean, I think you can even get into Romans 1, Paul, you know, that you know, looking at the created things that men are without an excuse. There's that, but there's also a mm -hmm. sense in which our ability to process not just narratives, but but data points and connect. So I remember one time <clears throat> I was on the street after a, a talk that I had given at a university that there was a student there who wasn't very happy about me being there. And we were kind of having a little back and forth privately afterward on a sidewalk on the city street. And he said, I can't think of a single good thing that Christianity has brought about in the world, in the culture, in my town, or in my life. And um, mm. and he was sure he was definitely more moral than Yahweh. But anyway, he was making this speech about how he couldn't think mm -hmm. of a single good thing that had come out of Christianity. And we were standing in front of a hospital. And do you know what the name of the hospital was? Oh, boy. <laughs> Presbyterian. <laughs> Presbyterian Hospital. I think this is in mm. Houston. Big neon lights. And I was just kind of like grinning and looking sideways like you can't think of a single thing anywhere in your life that might be anything kind of positive you can say. So it was just one. This, this is proving your point. Kids, basically, This is called irony. Yeah, right. But but it's <laughs> yeah. but it's to that point of like maybe he didn't even know what Pres maybe he didn't know Presbyterian was a Christian denomination. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's just something that popped into my mind that no, I but I talk a lot of. But there's another factor here, too. So. Then I suppose if let's say I'm the skeptic and yes, I am that skeptic and I am moving the target <laughs> with every, every answer you give me, Nathan, I just keep moving the target. So here I'll move it again and I'll say, yeah, but if God is all loving, all powerful and all knowing, he could give us a total revelation of himself and his presence. Why doesn't not, why doesn't he do that? Then there would truly be 
no doubt whatsoever. We would know God is real and God is God in the same way that we know water is H2O. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to really have any faith in the fact that water is H2O. We can, we know that. So you would know God in those same terms. That's what we need. That's what we want. That's what human beings need to make the right decision. We need that kind of total certainty. So let's tackle that. There are a number of assumptions built into that. So first of all, I think Blaise Pascal is really helpful here. I think Pascal is the greatest apologist. Ooh, there's. I think he's the greatest apologist bar none. People ask me that a lot, and I'm aware that there's another figure hovering in the background here named C.S. Lewis and all that. But I, I mean, I, te- I tend to think of C.S. Lewis as a literary scholar, but I, I think, I do think Pascal is the greatest apologist because he's writing to modern people. And yes, I'm aware he was writing in the 1700s, but that's how prophetic he was. But basically, he says divine hiddenness in that sense is very much part of, well, I mean, if everything God, everything that comes about comes about highly with God's intention. It's meant to be this way. He has ordained it this way. Why? Well, if you had that kind of complete and total revelation, it would completely overwhelm you and basically eliminate your your own free will in the matter. You wouldn't have very much choice in it would it would basically undermine key relational aspects with the Lord, this side of eternity. Yeah. So now, is, is there we an have argument? to remember here that, yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm just asking the question, are you saying there that what it is that somebody asking that question is desiring is not possible as a human? So the problem is not necessarily the revelatory capacity of God. It's the limitation of the human's capacity to deal with that revelation. There are a few things here I'm saying. So first of all, yes, there is a capacity issue here. Human beings are are finite. So yes, there is a limitation in what we can apprehend, what we can take in. And again, if you want a picture of that scripturally, just look at how people respond to the sight even of just angels. When they when they respond to when they're when they're when God reveals himself even in small small ways, people it's a earth-shattering, traumatizing experience. Very, very overwhelming. So there's that. We have we have human limitations, but also this side of eternity. So one day, I mean, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, of course, we have, you know, now we know in part, but one day we will see him just as he is, face-to-face, so to speak. So that kind of complete and total communion is in the future for us. But this side of eternity, the Lord has ordained it for us to also, faith will have to play a part in this journey. And so part of this also involves, the hiddenness conversation will involve us restoring a sense of what faith actually is as well. I think that's another part of this conversation. Faith not as some blind, irrational leap in the dark, but faith as putting your trust in a person, your confidence in that person. And now we have ample evidence and we have ample reason to do so, but we still, we can't avoid walking by faith, not by sight. Okay. Let me, let me jump in here a second. Yeah. Because so what you're pointing out here though, is, is one of the fundamental problems. I think that people are asking scripture to prove something that scripture isn't trying to prove. So when you were talking about walking by faith, 
Yes. In the Bible, faith is not a matter of believing that something exists. Faith is a confidence in the character. So the Bible doesn't go out of its way to make a full-blown mm -hmm. proof for the existence of God. It just takes that as a very knowable given, and then it's answering the question, what is God like? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about character, not about existence when we're talking about um, faith, but that also means that we have to split the question of divine hiddenness into two categories. One would be a hiddenness in the sense like, I'm not sure whether or not he exists. The other is, I'm not sure... Uh, why isn't he speaking to me? Why isn't he communicating? Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and my everyday have sorrow in my heart? So that's a question of divine hiddenness, but it's not about whether or not God exists. And then it goes on and says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. That's a different question than like, I'm not sure whether or not God exists. Now, so the Bible is mm -hmm. packed full of that type of question about, quote, here, the hiddenness of, or the silence, let's call it silence of God, not hiddenness. But I think, mm -hmm. and I've, I say this all the time, that I think one of the most terrifying things about Jesus is what he expects us to be able to figure out. And let me, let me give you an example. So in Luke 16, you remember the whole story of the rich man and Lazarus? And um, Lazarus is saying, you know, send somebody to my father's house. I have these brothers. Um, and Jesus is telling the story, and he says, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. And he says, no, Father Abraham. He said, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Verse 31 of Luke 16, he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And so here you have Jesus telling a story through the words of Abraham in this uh, you know, interaction between <laughs> Abraham and Lazarus after death where Lazarus is wanting somebody to go back and warn his family. And that is an astounding statement. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to that, they're not going to believe even if someone raises from, rises from the dead. I mean, Jesus time and time again makes statements like that, that, or even Paul, that whole idea of men are without an excuse having looked at the created things. Those are These are mm -hmm. high stakes. Yep. Um, so on one hand, the Bible... Uh, yeah, it just doesn't have a category for faith as a concept of existence. It's it's the 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 mm -hmm. the analogy that I use often is to say that I have faith in my mother is not to say that I doubt whether or not she exists. It's just that I don't think she'll intentionally poison me the next time my family goes over to her house for Thanksgiving. It's it's about the content of the character, not about the existence. And so, um, whenever you start trying to get too deeply into argumentation about the existence of God using biblical language. And I think there are plenty of reasons in there to, to point at that historically speaking and so forth, but you're not going to find airtight logical syllogisms for an answer to this question in scripture, because that's not fundamentally what the story of the Bible is trying to uh, relay to us. You know, down the ages and up to the present day, the vast majority of the globe agree that there, that there exists some higher power. Sure. And the question is not, yeah, the, the question is not, does a higher power exist? The question is who? What is the character, as you yeah, just is said, it good? Nathan? And th is it good? And that's why when you look at cases of unbelief and doubt in Scripture, those have to do with, again, with God's character. When the Israelites are complaining and griping in the wilderness, 
they're calling into question God's goodness, his ability well, to deliver him or that even that he even cares for them. Yeah. Okay. But so just as we're going by here, I need to point out, this is a common mistake that people make is they, and this will help us on the definition of belief here is they say, well, I couldn't believe in a God who allows X, Y, Z stick in their atrocity or, or bad thing that has happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're falsely, God could be evil and still exist. So whether or not, whether or not you like God has no bearing on whether or not a God or gods exist. And it's, it's just wild to me how often right. we use that metric of whether or not I like it becomes, um, you could say that about a president or a dictator in another country or, or Santa Claus. But I, I, yep. you see what I'm saying? Like it's a total, there's a total fallacy in there. Yes. Um, the good news Complete of the gospel number. isn't well, that there's a God, it be- it's that the character of God is good. And again, look to ancient, look, I mean, look at many different, I mean, look at different belief systems regarding God. Oh, and you're people find, believed in gods they sacrificed their children to. Exactly. You're going to find some very chilling portrayals. So it's that's that's worth bearing in mind. We that tends to be foreign to us because we're very we're very intuitional in the way we think. And that's not an accident. It's because so much of our lives, the technologies we use and all the stuff is designed to cater to our whims and wishes and needs. And that tends to in, <laughs> infect the way we think. We tend to think, oh, yeah, we call the shots and how I feel about something dictates its reality. But all you need to do is say that out loud to break the spell. <laughs> how you feel about the weather doesn't affect the weather. How you feel about, you know, the motions of cosmic dust makes no difference whatsoever. I mean, it, it's your feelings matter. Is it going to change the nature of reality? No. And so we've got to... We, we tend to fall into that line of thinking because our minds have been significantly reshaped by our modern technologies and conveniences. So every now and then we just need to say that out loud to, to break that spell. But also, why have people, why is there this remarkable consensus? That's why I brought this up in the first place, that most people down the ages globally agree there's a higher power. Well, because of what Paul says in Romans, because they've people have looked at the world, at the astonishing fact of existence itself it's itself that we exist they've looked at the variety and now increasingly the beautiful complexity i mean we have more and more technologies i mean ken boa will point out often that because we have telescopes and these amazing forms of magnification you know a lot of people have pointed out how this has damaged us because now it's made us think that we control everything and we see everything but ken boa will point out also that helps us to see part the curtain further and see more and more of the intricacy, more so than people ever have in the past. Well, people have looked at all of that abundance and they've drawn the reasonable conclusion that there must be some kind of awesome power behind it. Mm -hmm. And so it makes, I'm just pointing out, it makes a lot of sense to draw this conclusion and that the, the notion that there are a few, a select tiny little few really you know, brights or really well-informed, really smart atheists and skeptics is colossally arrogant. People have drawn this conclusion very sensibly. And so once again, I'm just pointing out, we're going, the question is the fact that scripture operates with the assumption that no, no, it's a given God is real. The question is, who is this God? Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. 
And you get into that even with when you look at the conflicts that Israel had with the nations around them, the idea of territorial gods and Yahweh being mm-hmm. a God who the whole earth belongs to, and he's not just a regional God. All of that starts to make sense in that way. Now, I do want to put a, a footnote in here because wrestling with the question is not a bad thing, and having doubts and questions is not sure. a bad thing. I'm thinking even of John the Baptist in prison when he sends a disciple to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we you know, be expecting someone else? Um, I, there's a whole list of psalms here 13 10 22 28 all that uh, and many more than that that wrestle with god what are you doing i think job is sitting there asking the same question wondering what in the world's going on with his life Mm -hmm. um and and jesus does speak to and give evidence to thomas who we talk about as a doubter and he answers questions and he asks questions and there's a real generosity and gentleness here with the way in which jesus interacts with people who have big questions I was thinking of this even in terms of getting ready for a sermon on, you know, Matthew's description of the interaction with the the angel and Joseph. Um, God basically destroys Mm -hmm. Joseph's reputation. And an angel shows up and is like, hey, you know, the woman you're engaged to is actually pregnant, and it's by the Holy Spirit, so don't worry about that. Go ahead and take her as a wife. Uh, Name him Jesus because he'll save his people from the sins. Peace out. Um, He left out a really good opportunity to say a whole lot more there. I mean, what did... What would Joseph, that's not a lot of information. So when we're talking about divine hiddenness, even at the times in which God does reveal himself, it is always insufficient for what we would like to know. That's the thing that I, yeah, I can kind of find myself on the edge of is, is this neat, this like, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what about the the incessant need to know more? I think that's part of the curiosity Mm -hmm. in the way that God has made us, but by and large, God gives Joseph just the very basics of what he needs to know to do the next thing. And that would go all the way back even to Isaiah, who 700 years earlier was writing, and the virgin will give birth. And Isaiah didn't probably have a clue what that meant, but God said to do it. So there's a sense in which we will Mm -hmm. always find what God reveals to us to be insufficient for what we would like to know in our curiosity, but it will always be sufficient for what we need to know in order to live faithfully. So there is a sense, though, in which, Nathan, I'm going to argue, and you can use, let's let's just see what you think about this. There is a sense in which God did sort of write his name in the sky, so to speak. Oh, yes. We often use the phrase, yeah, so, and I think we, we all have to, we have to come here. So you're talking about your friend, you know, saying how could, you know, Christianity has, has done absolutely I don't see anything good that it's done for the world at all as you're standing in front of a hospital with Presbyterian in front of it. Well, there's a sense in which we we often think, oh, God needs to make himself more obvious. We need, we need some kind of earth-shattering miracle. You know, God needs to make himself more obvious and spell this out. Another phrase that you, you, you just a common phrase we hear sometimes is, well, we need to meet people where they're at. We need to speak to them in terms they understand. What is the incarnation? I mean, the incarnation mm-hmm. is the single most magnificent, earth-shattering miracle. It's off. It's also the most. It's way more powerful than God writing your name in the sky. This is the Lord of all creation, the one who made you, taking on flesh, meeting you where you're at, so to speak, which is <laughs> almost risks trivializing to to use that kind of language here, but. Yes, meeting you where you're at in human form, but not just in human form, becoming human. I mean, really real, really human, 
It's not, it's not some mask. It's not some costume. This is real flesh and blood. And then not only showing you how to live, but then dying for you and rising again. Ooh, hey. Let's, let's he- dwell on that for a second here. Yeah, let me give you a footnote. It's called Hebrews chapter 1. I think goes along with what you're saying. <laughs> let me read this and see if, mm. see if this jives. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. How do you like them apples? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there it is. So, I mean, this puts us, this puts us in an interesting position with this with this discussion nathan the hiddenness of god i think we're back to where we where we started this one really turns a lot on the person asking the question Mm -hmm. because once we i think once we probe this one a little bit we come to a place where where we we have to ask ourselves if we're the person saying why isn't god more obvious we have to ask ourselves some soul-searching questions what would you know what would count as obvious and do I do I want this to be true or do I not want this to be true? I think these these are another good question is do you want God to exist or do you not want him to exist? It's it's important to that doesn't necessarily count as strong evidence for or against, but it helps us to understand some of our motivations when we're approaching a conversation like this because in my experience at least Nathan there is a whole lot more radical evidence than people often realize but we underestimate what true unbelief looks like for for mm-hmm. people yeah there's there's also a there are some list in the new testament of other reasons why god might so you have god is you know blinded the minds of the unbelievers there's that kind of thing but there's also you look at peter of um specifically when he's talking about how to husbands about how they treat their wives so that it doesn't hinder your prayers there are things that we can do to to intentionally separate ourselves from our capacity to communicate with God. So we want to keep that in, in mind as a as a real feature there as well. But I, I think it goes back to what you're saying. It depends on the the heart of the person asking and and what we want there. But then you know I was you know as you're speaking there, I was thinking about my listening to my kids talk about this the other day going to church, and um, and I was just letting them run with it, wasn't interfering, and the, and they got around to a good, so they were saying, well, why, you know, why can't we see God? And they very quickly said, well, if we could see God right here, then God wouldn't be everywhere. And that doesn't work for what it means to be God. And so there's just some funny kind of, um, you know, does the expectation of how it is that we expect God to reveal himself end up being sort of a a selfish fulfillment in my life without taking into account the fullness of what it is that a God actually Mm. would be uh, if it existed? Um, so yeah, sometimes it's, it's helpful. Uh, even a kid can work that out of saying, well, God can't be physically sitting right beside me all the time. And that'd be true for everybody everywhere at the same time. Um, so yeah, I think realistic expectations within the confines of what it is that God has said about how he reveals himself is important because all oftentimes what I see people looking for is a, a divine slot machine or a Thor or some kind of other creature that will satisfy and fulfill their wishes. And you end up in this strange situation where people walk up to a pine tree, don't see any apples on it, 
and then deny the existence of fruit. And you're thinking, well, apples don't grow on pine mm-hmm. trees. Why are you looking for this type of evidence in this place? And you only start doing that whenever you've made a God in your own image who doesn't actually exist. And then you're disappointed when he doesn't show up in the predetermined set of categories that you've outlined for how things should go. And then you're disillusioned because the God that you created doesn't show up in the way that you want him to. Um, I'm not saying everybody does that, but there is a sense in which that's, yeah. Sure. Well, it's also worth pointing out that God doesn't need, doesn't play our little games either. I mean, he is, he is God, he is Lord. And if, if he were just some cosmic butler subject to our wishes, then he wouldn't really be God, would he? I think we sometimes need to recognize that for him to be God means that we necessarily are not, but also it means that he exceeds our powers and capabilities. And that puts us in a unique position before before our creator. So it, we should expect to be challenged. We should expect to have our categories challenged. We should expect to find surprises when yeah. we're talking about the living God. Well, and the other side of that that goes with that, Cameron, is, is that divine obviousness is not always great for the observer. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, the amount of times right. that, what do the angels usually say? Fear not. Um, or God shows up in some not, cataclysmic yep. display of power, and it's not like, oh, kumbaya. It's like, oh, and mm-hmm. then they all died. Um, so, so obviousness is not always splendid, um, and that gets into the whole category of holiness and, and the need for um, sure salvation and perfection. And our capacities, um, like you mentioned. Yeah, and our capacities, yeah. Yep. So it's, it's that idea of, you know, okay, oh, I'm doing it. I'm going to quote Dallas Willard to you. You remember the line where Dallas Willard said, I'm there convinced that God will let everyone into heaven who can stand it? it yes. It's that idea. So, you know, what makes you think that you could waltz into the presence of a holy God and live? You, you would need to be purified in some way before yeah. that happened. And so I think really what we're pushing at here, and this is maybe a, an excellent, accidentally maybe we're on brand here with the calendar year in the church, is it's a great introduction to Advent of saying, mm-hmm. actually, the, the answer to this problem historically is what it is that we're preparing to celebrate, not just in the first coming of Christ, and in this idea that Jesus has mm-hmm. given us what we need to know in order to live well now, but also that he's coming back and now we see dimly as in a mirror, but then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known, as you quoted earlier, that we do have longing and expectations and great curiosities, um, but we're given what God thinks we can handle. And to mm-hmm. learn to be content with that, while I think still seeking and asking is is the balance of what it means to have an already and not yet sense of God's revelation in our world with an eager expectation of that which is to come. So I think it's, a, it's not a bad question to be asking, but I, I think there are some little parameters and some, some foundational pillars that we're, we laid out here that kind of help us get some guardrails up so that we don't get uh, too lost in the weeds as we pursue what's actually possible, what God wants from us and for us, and then a reminder to deal with the revelation that God has given us now and then uh, after we've mastered that, then perhaps get ready for what is yet to come. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing your thoughts there, Cameron. That's been helpful to me. Of course. And thanks for listening.
You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.